Well, good morning. My name is Caleb Burchett. I'm the uh, student pastor here at Fellowship. I get to work with our students in 6th through 12th grade. I'm very excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, and to open up this message, uh, I'd like to make a bold prediction, all right? And the prediction is this. Today's sermon might be one of the most important you hear in your entire life. And trust me, it's not because of me. It's not because uh, I'm predicting that my own preparation and delivery will be important because I trust me, it won't be. I say this because the topic is so important. And what we are talking about today is the pinnacle of this wholehearted series. And what we're talking about today has huge implications for our lives, just not, not just right now in the world that we live in, but for all of eternity, all right? So in saying that, uh, with, the, with the, the burden of that and the heaviness of that, I want to read you guys a section of scripture. You don't have to turn there. This is in Matthew 7. And y'all, when I lay in bed at night, uh, there's not many, uh, you know, there's not many passages of scripture that keep me, that keeps me up at night, tossing and turning in my sheets, just, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. But this is one of them, and this is, this is very serious, and I want to read that to you. It says, um, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And y'all, I read this, and this is terrifying. I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. And according to Jesus, you know, there's going to be a lot of surprises one day. And with those serious implications in mind, and I want you to keep this in mind, I want to ask you a question. How many Tom Cruise fans we got in the room this morning? Let me see your hands. Come on, Tom Cruise fans. No, let me hear. Let me see your fans. There has to be more. There, I mean, that guy can run. That guy is the best looking runner I've ever seen in my entire life. No one runs like Tom Cruise, all right? So keep the seriousness of this scripture in mind, but let me tell you a quick story. I'm a big Tom Cruise fan. Grew up all my life. Loved some Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible franchise, that was like, that was my bread and butter growing up, all right? I love that stuff. And last summer, um, you know, last summer, uh, Fallout, the latest installment came out. And great movie, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend. Tom Cruise, he has a nice running montage in that one as well. Uh, but so, opening night, this is one of my favorite franchises. Me and some friends, we're going to go see Mission Impossible opening night, Thursday, 7 o'clock, you know, whatever it is. And I show up to the theater. I show up to the theater. And when I showed up, I had discovered that I had purchased the movie ticket for the wrong day. All of my friends got the right tickets, but it was just me. So, there I was. I couldn't go see the movie. I mean, this is a sold-out showing, you know, and I was pretty disappointed And because there I was walking in expecting something, and I was told that my ticket wasn't valid, and it was disappointing and not that big of a deal because, you know, I caught it the next day or the next week, but uh, I remember that time specifically when I showed up to the movie theater expecting a mission into the movie when I read Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus warns us what may happen when we become face-to-face with him. And, you know, Jesus says that one day many people are going to show up and finally meet him. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're all going to be excited, thinking that this is the day that I've been waiting for. I get to enter into the kingdom of God and spend eternity with my Savior. But to some, Jesus might say, hey, I don't know you. You have the wrong movie ticket. And Jesus tells us that there are going to be many. That's what it says. The word is many. 
not few, who are going to be surprised on the day of judgment. And why? Because we assumed we were okay. Why? Because we assumed we had the correct movie ticket. And the Bible even says that these people that Jesus is talking about did great things in Jesus' name. Isn't that terrifying? Because that is to me. Man, and that, that hits me really hard sometimes. And I think we need to ask ourselves, and this is our question of the day, is how can we know that we are right with God? How can we know we are right with God? This is a question that we are going to keep coming back to today as we go through the book of James. Um, and y'all, I understand, you know, this is a tough scenario. This is kind of a scary situation. So I want to offer a solution in scripture before we dive in. This is in 1 John 5.13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So I want to point this out as God's promise. Because what he's saying here is that, I point this out because it can give us confidence that we can know we are right with God. God gives us a promise that we can know we are right with God. We don't have to wonder. We can know, and, but the question is now, how can we know? And that is what we are going to be getting into with James. How can we know we are right with God? And there's not one, I promise you all, there is not any more situation that you want to make sure you can figure out. All right? So let's look at what James tells us. James has for us, and let's consider what it means for our souls and for our hearts. How can we tell if we're right with God? So according to James, you know, true wholehearted faith is more than a couple of things. And that's our, that's our first slide if you're taking notes. Wholehearted faith is more than this. It's more than just showing up to the movie with the movie ticket. And it's so important to understand this because a lot of us tend to really rely on these things, just a few things in our life, right? And yet James says those things we rely on are not quite reliable, and if we think we have true faith based on them, we're in danger of perhaps being self-deceived. And we're in danger of thinking we're okay when maybe we're not. And what are these things in our life that create a wholehearted faith? And I want to go to God's word and see what James has to offer us this morning. Y'all turn with me to James chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 14 through 26. If you're on the if you're, on the, if you're in the Bible, you can find it in the pews. Uh, and if you also, if you're on your phone, we have a Bible app. And on the, on the Bible app, you can select events, select Fellowship Asheville, and you'll see today's text, slides. Uh, there's some sermon re response questions. It's a great tool. I highly recommend it. So here we are, James chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to start this off, verses 14 and 16. Oh, I forgot to turn there. All right. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And this is what I take away from this section of scripture. Wholehearted faith is more than what we say. You know, the scenario that James offers is a real one, and I don't think this is hypothetical at all. You know, remember that the church back then, just as the church is today, uh, was made of both poor people and rich people. And it's not hard to imagine that back in the day that some of the people in the church would have been having a hard time meeting ends need. And I'm not talking about having to cut their cell phone bill or choosing not to go eat out on a Friday night. I'm, I'm not talking, our problems are much more materialistic. I'm talking lack of basic necessities of life, like having clothes to wear on their back or enough food to eat and to provide for their family. And when the scenario plays out, what James is talking about here 
as it even does today, how are we supposed to react? And James, he paints this picture of saying the right things, wishing that the person has what they need without doing the right things, without helping cure the situation. And y'all, let's not be hard on this person's word because they did a very good thing here. They say exactly the right thing. They pronounce a blessing on their poor Christian brother or sister. That's, the, that's what it says in the text. They, I want to bless you. And it's not that their words are wrong because the words are right. It's that the words are a cover for neglect. And let's be real. I mean, we, we, can, we see this all the time in our world. Imagine that someone came in today, the church today, or maybe it's a growth group that you're in. It's been a bad week. They were in a car accident on Tuesday. Their car is totaled. It looks like insurance isn't going to cover the car. Things are looking bad, and we all, we all go put our arms around that person and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that happened to you. But man, eventually someone's going to turn up and say, hey, I'm $200 sorry. How sorry are you? And that's what hits me hard. Y'all, and it hits me hard because this is a true for me. I mean, seriously, we have a family in our church here at Fellowship that keeps a spare car in their home just to bless other people with it. And y'all, I say this because this was me two months ago. I was the one who needed it. Uh, less than two months ago, like, I didn't know. My car had broken down. It had to be taken to the shop. It was going to cost over $2,000 to get fixed. Uh, and, you know, I was sharing that with our staff here. And Amy, you know, Amy immediately came to me right after that. I said, hey, Caleb, Brian and I have a vehicle that we want you to be able to use while you wait for your car to get fixed and when it's in the shop because we want to be able to bless you with that. And I was, yeah. And when I think of a story like that, something that happened to my life, I immediately think about what James is telling us and that he's telling us if our faith is all about saying the right thing, that might not be quite enough, all right? We can come to church every week. We can show up here at fellowship and say the right things to each other. Trust me, I say the right things all the time, but that's not enough. True faith, true wholehearted faith is more than just saying the right things. And that's not all. This next slide here says wholehearted faith is more than what we believe, what we believe. Here at Fellowship, we have a mission, we have a vision, and we have values that we follow. And this is important. I want to remind you of some of these. Our mission is that we are, we are disciple-making disciples. That is our mission as a church. We have a vision that we are a gospel-centered community, creating environments where change is possible. And we have three values. Those values are worship, those values are serve, and our value is grow. And when it comes to worship, we envision a church that will explode with gratitude to God and all we do is we grow in the knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he is doing and what he is going to do. When I think about our serve value, we envision a church who shares sacrificially with those in need. We want to see our church, our area of Western North Carolina, of Asheville, and the world change because we are generous with all that God has given us to further his kingdom. When we think about the grow value here at Fellowship, we envision a church that will never be the same, that will never be the same because we have been reconciled to Christ and will continue to change and grow in him. And y'all, it's a beautiful thing. And I love that we have this. And if you were to go on our website, you were to look at these, our mission, our vision, our values are all backed up by scripture and the truth of God's word. And it's something that I personally love what we have because I know that I need to be reminded of the truths of Scripture and what our church believes to effectively do my job and shepherd our students here. Because I get it, that life can take you in so many different directions, and that is where I find my refuge. 
So it's essential to believe the right things because truth matters, right? That's the idea. It's essential to believe the right things because truth matters. But according to James, we're going to see right now in verse 19, believing the right things isn't enough. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And what James says here is shocking. Every week when I remind myself of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my life changed. Something that we wholeheartedly believe as a church for each and every one of us. I know that the demons, that Satan and his followers could sit in the back of the church this morning and affirm those same beliefs. And this is stunning to me. This is hard to understand because it's important to note that what, the, what Satan's followers have is not a saving belief. And that what I have in my life is a saving belief. And this is a belief that is fully surrendered to God. That is wholehearted. But I warn you in this because James is letting us know they could be among us and say those same things. We affirm the gospel. We affirm that Jesus walked on earth. We affirm that he died on the cross, rose again from the grave. We affirm these beliefs. But yet they shudder. The word shudder means uncontainable, uncontrollable, violent, shaking from extreme fear. And why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? Because they know that right theology isn't enough. And why should you care? Because I know that you can have all the right theology in the world. You can have all of the right answers. It's important, trust me, but it's not enough to save you. And what we believe as a church is that we believe in a saving faith in Christ Jesus. Do you say the right things? Sure. Do you believe the right things? That's a good start, but it's not quite enough. And you may, in fact, be danger of fooling yourself into thinking you're okay. But neither what we say or nor what we believe is evidence of true faith. And this is a warning from James this morning. How can you tell if you're right with God? How can you tell if you're right with God? You can't tell simply by what you believe or what you say. So how can you tell? James is going to tell us. Back to verse 17. So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And y'all, you can tell you have wholehearted faith by how it's changed your life. In fact, James goes even further. He gives us, you know, when we continue through this passage of Scripture, we're going to see uh, James uses examples of characters in the Bible who demonstrated their faith through their actions. Uh, we know from Scripture that Abraham was saved by his faith in God. I want to read you just one verse in Genesis. This is Genesis 15, 6. It says, and talking about, it's talking about Abraham. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And later on in the Bible, you know, the Apostle Paul uses this passage uh, to, twice, actually, to prove that nobody is right with God based on their actions, but on faith alone, and it's always been this way. But here James says, you know, James says that genuine faith works itself out in action. So how do we know? How do we know? We're getting there. We're getting there. It led to Abraham's willingness to offer God his only son, if, that what it, if that's what it took. Genuine faith results in works. James is saying, you're saved by faith, but if your faith, if your life 
If your faith doesn't change, it might have not been real to begin with. And as we read through this passage, you'll see, you know, he's mentioned Abraham. And I, we, we all know who Abraham is. If you grew up in the church, you know who Abraham is. He's a high and mighty figure, right? He's someone we look to as a man of God, Father Abraham, right? You know, the father of many nations. He is a key and respected figure. But then James goes on when he's talking here. He mentions, you know, he mentions the ex- opposite extreme of Abraham. He mentions Rahab. And Rahab was a prostitute. And Abraham, you know, a major biblical figure. Rahab was a minor participant in the Bible. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Rahab was a foreigner. Abraham was respected. Rahab was disrespected. Abraham was a man. Rahab was a woman. And of course, when I look at this, when I take a step back and I look at this, I see the point James is making, and I'm very glad he's making this point. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Abraham. It doesn't matter if you're Rahab. Genuine faith works the same way wherever you are in your life. When Rahab defended God's people against her own people, James said she showed genuine faith. A prostitute, someone disrespected, cast out, stepped up and showed genuine faith. And you can say you have all the faith in the world, but until that faith results in action, you can't say you have genuine faith. It doesn't matter if you're Abraham. It doesn't matter if you're Rahab. Genuine faith results in works, results in the fruit of the Spirit. And James goes even further. Let's drop down to verse 24. James says here, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Great. That makes sense. But then, you know, I go back to Paul. I look at Paul's writing, Romans 3, 28. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And you can see the apparent contradiction here. Pull up the slide for me. We have two pieces of scripture. And in both pieces, we see a person. We see another person. Is justified? Is justified. James says by works. Paul says by faith. And not by faith alone and not by works of the law. And how do we reconcile this? What do we do when we look at this? Because this this can be very confusing. Who is right? And the answer is that they are both right. There's no contradiction here between what Paul and James is saying. Paul says that we are saved, and this is the key, Paul says that we are saved by genuine faith in Jesus. Not just faith in Jesus, not just believing the right things, saying the right things, by a genuine faith in Jesus, and that alone, we are saved. But James says that a sign of this genuine faith, what Paul is saying is our genuine faith, James is saying a sign of genuine faith, that it results in real, measurable change in our lives. And if we can't see how it's changed us, there's a good chance that we never had genuine faith to begin with. And y'all, there's one truth of this that I want you to know. I want you to walk out encouraged by this. And it's that we are saved by faith alone. Amen. But not by a faith that remains alone. That's exactly right. That is the definition of a wholehearted faith. We are saved by faith alone. Yes. But not by a faith that remains alone. 
you know, this is why our series is titled Wholehearted. Faith that doesn't reveal itself in works, in a changed lifestyle that glorifies God and has compassion on others, is dead and worthless. We are saved by faith alone, but we don't have a saving faith if there's no evidence of change in our lives. So as we move on to the application of this, how, how can we tell if we're right with God? How can we? Well, you can tell, not simply by what you believe or what you say, but by how it's changed your life. When you examine your heart, when you examine your life. And y'all, I said at the beginning of this that this may be one of the most important messages you ever hear. Not because I'm going to do a great job, but because the topic is so important. And the reason it's important is because there are many people that I know, that you might know, that might be you, who have once made a commitment to Christ. But looking back, maybe it didn't really change their life. You know, they are banking on a decision that they made. Maybe years ago, maybe months ago, they thought they signed the deal. They thought they purchased the right movie ticket. But really, when they, when they really check what's going on inside, it hasn't changed their life. And what I believe is happening here is James is warning us. He's saying if you believe that it was just when you signed the papers, when you bought that movie ticket, you are fooling yourself. He's saying don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. If you've really put your faith in Jesus, it's going to save you. How? You will be changed by a faith that does not remain alone. And y'all, I want to share with y'all a beautiful story of one of my students this year who put her faith in Jesus. And how it's changed her life. You know, I get to work with our students here, grade 6 through 12. And, you know, I have a student. Her name is Leah. And I just started at Fellowship, you know, in August, almost a year ago. And we had a fall retreat. And she came on the retreat. And I didn't really know Leah well. But, you know, God touched her heart in a very particular way in that moment. And I'm always very weary of camp decisions. Because they can be emotional. There can be a lot going on. I'm always weary of decisions for Christ at camp. But she said, hey, Kayla, I want to I put my faith in Jesus. You know, I grew up in the church. I have a great family. But this is the moment that I know that this faith becomes mine. And I love that. And I rejoice in that. But I have seen in the last nine months, eight months, her faith changed. It wasn't just that one decision at camp. No. Next month, she is going to be coming to Kenya with Fellowship Student Ministry and serving overseas with our team. So what was maybe a camp decision, I've seen the fruit of that decision in her life now. And I know God's going to continue to do great works in her life and work through her and build her. I mean, let's say amen. Amen. I mean, I love stories like this. This is why we are the church. This is why I do what I do. The Spirit is going to move in your life. And he's going to start making changes. You won't be perfect, trust me, I know I'm not perfect. But you're sure, you're sure going to be different, I promise you that. You'll move in fits and starts. You'll go forwards and backwards. But over time, you'll see real life change. It will change the way you see other people. It will change your heart for God. It will change your heart for your family, for the church, to the other people in your life. It will cause you to struggle with sins that you love. You won't be perfect. We never are in this life, but your faith will start to change you. James says that if you don't see that happening, you may say you believe, but you don't. And I want to invite you this morning, dig deep in your faith. 
Let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. That's wholehearted faith. That is our sermon series. That's what is available for free to anyone who wants it. Christ bore our sin on the cross. He bore the penalty, turned aside God's judgment, God's wrath from us, and canceled sin. The brokenness of our lives he restores. The shattered relationships he rebuilds in the context of the church, the new life that we find as human beings, we find in Christ is granted by the sheer grace of God. It's free. It is received by faith as we turn to God and we repent of our sins and return to Jesus. We confess him as our Lord and bow to him joyfully. We raise our hands in praise because he is the only one deserving of our praise. Y'all, if you're sitting in this room this morning and you're, you're, you're waiting for God to change you, you're waiting on that movement of God showing up to church believing that's you, I want to, I want to assure you that you don't have to wait for a movement of God because you are a movement of God because you have the Holy Spirit working inside of you. This is it, y'all. Come encounter the real Jesus. Receive his grace in your life and you will never be the same. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you humbled by your gift. Lord, I pray as a church that we come to you. Lord, I pray that we are a church with wholehearted faith in you, Jesus. Lord, that people will see that we are different by the works of our life, not because we know we need those works to grant you, Lord, but because we want to. We want to, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning, there might be one of you in the room this morning, Lord, that needs to have needs to fully surrender their life to God, Lord, and I pray that you work in their heart. Lord, fully surrender, we know, can work in many different ways. For some, for some, they may need to come to the altar this morning, Lord, and spend time with you and confess. Lord, for some, it might need, maybe, maybe needs to go to the back of the room with our prayer team and be prayed for. Lord, for some of you, maybe you just need to not care what the person next to you is doing and just fully surrender your heart and worship. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for you. In your name we pray, amen.